Welcome, everybody, to Off the Cuff. I am Adam Banks. Thank you for listening to the show. And this is another episode of the Communication Lecture Series where I will be focusing on the topic of delivering your speech. Now, like always, this episode will go into the episode list of Off the Cuff episodes, but it will also be added to the playlist of the Communication Lecture Series. So sit back and enjoy as I lecture on this topic. Today I want to talk to you about delivering the speech. And I want to start off by telling you the key to good delivery. And to have good delivery, to be able to get up and give a speech, and to have a good delivery when you give your speech, you need to have a strong desire to communicate with your audience. And What I mean by that is you should display a sense of want in your delivery, in your voice, in in the way you communicate with your audience. It needs to really exuberate a strong desire to communicate with your audience. Speakers who care deeply about conveying their ideas to the audience almost always does an adequate job with their delivery, even if they lack professional polish and training. So let's first look at the methods of speaking. There are four basic methods of speaking. The first method of speaking is memorization. Now that is when you memorize your entire speech and then you deliver it. I think that memorization is a bad idea for most speakers. However, because of the following liabilities. One, you are forced to spend an enormous amount of time in committing to memorizing that speech. Uh, the time that you could be using uh, practicing your speech in front of a mirror or going over note cards or making note cards, you're spent just memorizing your entire speech. Two, at some point in your speech, you might suddenly forget what comes next, and this could cause you to panic. Once derailed from a memorized speech, you might be unable, unable to get back on track. And third, even if you remember your entire speech, you would be speaking from your memory, not from your heart. And this could cause you to sound somewhat robotic, and it doesn't come across as a natural speech. It just definitely comes across as a speech that you memorized because you are so focused on making sure that you say every single word correctly because that's what you memorized. The second method of speaking is manuscript. Um, A manuscript method is the, the delivery of a speech by reading a script. That is when you basically are just reading your speech. Now, I hate this because nobody wants to listen to a speaker get up and just read from their speech because you are putting yourself in danger of failing to look at your audience, which makes your speech totally impersonable, and it's a big no-no when speaking. Now, I will say this. There are occasions, however, when a reading a manuscript is appropriate. Many government hearings and scientific conferences, for an example, prefer manuscript delivery because each speaker's complete text is printed into to a document or it's posted in online archives. If you must use a manuscript, I would suggest the following guidelines. For ease of reading, I would print the document in large letters and leave generous space in between the lines. That way you would be able to see what you're reading. I would use a, a yellow highlighter to mark the keywords and the phrases, I would underline words, and I would practice reading your document as many times until you thoroughly are familiar with it. Another method of speaking is impromptu. 
Now, I love impromptu. That's what I do on a daily, ba- on a weekly basis with this podcast is, is impromptu. That is when you are speaking off the cuff, no pun intended for the podcast. But when you speak impromptu, that is literally speaking without preparation. In my public speaking classes, I always have my students do an impromptu speech. I bring topics um, into class and I put them into a bowl on a sheet. I write these topics on a piece of paper and wad the piece of paper up, put it into a bowl, and I have my students come up and draw the topic out of the bowl. And then they have to give a speech on this topic, a five-minute speech on this topic, three to five-minute speech. And I give them five minutes to prepare their speech. So literally pretty much no time. So there are some guidelines when you are going to speak impromptu still, even though you don't have any preparation. You should, one, you should never rush. You need to speak at a steady and calm rate. Okay, number two, when possible, link your remarks to those of other speakers, meaning when you take a statement made by a previous speaker and build upon it, you connected with your audience and you hold their attention. Don't fiend knowledge. That's another thing. Don't wing it. Don't just say that you know something when you really don't. Remember, you have a responsibility as a speaker to always be ethical and tell the truth, so don't make stuff up. Another thing is to be brief. Don't spend a lot of time just rambling on and on and on. It's easy to do that when you don't have a, a script to go by or you don't have any type of um, you know, guideline in front of you. Um, and then also try to foresee situations where you are likely to be caught up on to speak impromptu. This would give you a little bit time to be more prepared if you are ever to be caught up on to speak without preparation. So try to think of situations that you might be in where you might have to do that. Maybe if you're coming home from a conference and your boss calls you and says, Hey, I want to have you speak to the rest of the company about what you learned at the conference. If that is something that you could foresee yourself possibly having to do in a certain situation, then try to prepare. You know, If you're going to a banquet of a friend that's retiring after – 30 years of service and you've worked with him for 28 years of those service years of service there's a good chance that you might be called up on to speak that's what i mean by that and then the other type of or the, the other method of speaking would be extemporaneous method now i don't know if i've said that word correctly but extemporaneous method is how i say it now that is the method that I would suggest you using, and that is uh, the method in which the delivery of a speech is from notes following extensive preparation and rehearsal. That is where you have taken the time to research, you've taken the time out to make notes uh, from the research that you've gathered, and you've rehearsed your speech. That, in return, gives you a solid speech, a good delivery, and it's the most appropriate method to use. Because you're able to incorporate all the qualities of good delivery, which is speaking to your, you know, connecting with your audience, being able to converse with your audience, and so forth. When you are delivering your speech, let's talk about your voice. Some people think that to be an excellent speaker, you must have to have a golden voice, a rich and renaissance voice that just enthrills your listeners. That's not exactly the case. Some of the greatest Speakers in history had imperfect voices. Abraham Lincoln's voice was described by his 
uh, peers as thin and high-pitched, shrill and not musical and disagreeable. And Winston Churchill, another great speaker, they claimed his voice was stammered and even had a slight lisp. Now, it is nice to have a rich Renaissance voice, but other characteristics of the human voice are more important, okay? The volume that you use, the clarity that you use, and the expressiveness that you use in your voice can make up for the actual tone and the actual sound that comes from your voice. So let's examine all three. Um, Let's look at volume first. The larger the room, the louder you have to speak. You can tell if your volume is loud enough by observing the people in the back. Okay, are they leaning forward with quizzical questions as they strain to hear your words? And if they are, that means you obviously need to speak up a little bit. Clarity is another thing. Clarity is how clear your words are coming out. Uh, so that means that you need to have perfect articulation and perfect pronunciation. Articulation is the act of producing vocal sounds and pronunciation is the correct way of speaking a word. So make sure that you speak your words correctly. You enunciate your words correctly. I am pretty bad for pronouncing the correct words the right way. I mean, even on this podcast, you've probably heard me several times say words the wrong way. So you can't really follow that by example. And that's hard to sometimes, you know, when you are speaking off the cuff to pronunciate words the correct way. But if you do have a speech where you're giving a... Uh, you know, if you have a speech where you have that word in it that you don't really know how to say it correctly, practice it because it's in your speech. Expressiveness is another way. Uh, a dynamic speaker has a voice that is warm and expressive. So, producing a rich vari- variety of sounds, you need to be expressive when you speak. You don't need to just speak in one tone of voice. Because it becomes monotone and you're putting no expressiveness behind your words, behind your meaning. When you say certain things, your voice should change when you say these things. So let's examine five basic elements of expressiveness. One is pitch and annotation. Pitch is the highness or lowness of a sound and annotation is the use of changing pitch to convey meaning. In conversation, almost everyone uses a variety of annotation patterns and emphasizes particular words. But in public speaking... Some speakers fail to use any variety at all. Instead, they speak in a monotone, a dull, flat drone that will put many listeners to sleep. Even worse, they run the risk of appearing insincere. They may say something dramatic like, This crime is terrible tragedy for America, but say in such a flat way that the audience thinks that they don't really mean it. Loudness and soft, softness is another element that we'll, that we'll uh, examine. Uh, besides using the proper volume so that everyone in the audience can hear you, you can raise or lower your voice for dramatic effect to emphasize a point. I'll give you an example of what I mean by this. I'm going to say a statement soft, and then I'm going to switch to loud. Should we give in to the kidnapper's demands? Never. Now notice what I did there. Did you notice that by raising my voice for the last word, it conveyed that I truly meant what I said? Now let's try another selection out loud. I'm going to make my voice start off loud and then go to soft. 
Edwin Arlington Robinson's character, Richard Corey, had everything that a man could want. Good looks, lots of money, popularity. But he went home one night and put a bullet through his head. So changing from loud to soft helps my listeners feel the tragic discrepancy between Richard Corey's outward appearance and his inner reality there. Uh, The rate of speaking is another method that we'll examine. How quickly and slowly should you speak, you may ask? Well, it all depends on the situation. If you are describing a thrilling high-speed police chase or a rapid rate is appropriate to speak. But if you are explaining a technical, hard-to-understand concept, a slow pace is preferred. Uh, Pauses is another method we'll examine. When you read printed material, you have pronunciation marks to help you do stuff such as pauses. But when you're speaking, you don't have those things to refer to. You have to just know when to do it. So your audience appreciates a pause. It gives them time to digest what you have said. A pause before an important idea or the climax of a story can be effective in creating suspense. For an example, a student speaker by the name of Stephanie Johnson told of an adventure she had while camping. And this is the following she told. It was late at night when I finally crawled into my sleeping bag. The fire had died down, but the moon cast a faint, spooky light on our campsite. I must have been asleep a couple of hours when I suddenly woke up. Something was brushing up against my sleeping bag. My heart started pounding like crazy. I peeked out of the slit, and I had left for air. Do you know what I saw? And then she paused. By pausing at this point, Johnson had the audience on the edge of their chairs, What was it? Was it a bear? Was it a human intruder? After a few moments of dramatic tension, she ended the suspense. She said, By the light of the moon, I could see a dark little animal with a distinctive white stripe. And then she paused again. It was a skunk. A pause also can be used to emphasize an important statement. It is a way of saying, let let this sink in. Notice how this woman, a political science professor, used pauses in a speech on community service. She said, When I attempted to reject those ignorant fools who disagree with me, I remind myself of the words of novelist Peter Virus. We are not primarily put on this earth to see through one another, but to see one another through. And then she paused there at the end. In some speeches, you may find yourself pausing, not because you want to, but because you have forgotten what you have been planning to say next and you need to glance at your notes. Or you may pause while you're searching your mind for the right word. Such a pause seems like an eternity, so you are tempted to use verbal fillers. And that's vocalized pauses in which a speaker inserts sounds such as uh and um. Instead, Instead, I recommend you remain silent. I don't recommend you to use verbal fillers. A few such pauses can show the audience that you are... um, a person who is concerned about using the most precise words as possible. Controversial quality is another method that we'll examine. Treat your audience not as a blur of faces, but as a collection of individuals. Let your you need to be yourself, but be somewhat intensified. Let your natural enthusiasm show. Practice loosening up. That's important. 
Nonverbal communication. It consists of the messages that you send without words that you can convey with your eyes, your facial expressions, your posture, your body movement, and the characteristics of your voice. To be credible to your audience, your nonverbal communication must be synchronized with your words. If you say, if you walk into a room and you say, I am very happy to be here, but your eyes are cast downward and your face is gloom and your audience will think that you're just saying that and not being very honest with them. Whenever there is a discrepancy between body language and words, listeners will believe the nonverbal signals instead of the verbal messages every single time. So if you really are happy to be there, walk into the room and synchronize your voice with your body movement. Man, I am very happy to be here with you guys. Let that come out in your tone, in your pitch, in your nonverbal, in your facial expressions, in your eye contact, with your hands. So to get your nonverbal signals synchronized to your words, you need to show enthusiasm. Like I said, with your face, your posture, your tone of voice. But you may be asking this question. You may be asking, what if I don't really feel happy and confident? I can't lie with my body, can I? Well, that's a good question because there are times when you don't want, you don't want to speak. Or you don't feel like standing up in front of a group. But my answer to that is pretend. Yes, pretend to be confident in yourself and your ideas. Pretend to be glad to appear before your audience. Pretend to be enthusiastic. But you may ask, isn't this phony? Well, the answer to that is, isn't this... Well, you know, the answer to that is yes. It is phony, but we must often simulate cheerfulness and animation it's crucial. Sometimes we might not be feeling the best going into a job interview, but we still have to go in and show enthusiasm and show confidence and show poise because if we don't, we could have messed up our entire future in just a few minutes. When you get up to deliver a speech, make sure you take good care of your personal appearance. Don't wear a hat. A hat can hurt your eye. It could hurt eye contact. Don't wear a t-shirt. Um, it could be defensive uh, to some people if you have some graphic language on there. I would always recommend wearing a pair of slacks and a nice dress shirt. Depends on the occasion. If it's really formal, of course, wear a necktie. Ladies wear dresses. Keep good eye contact. It creates an important bond of communication and rapport between you and your listeners. It helps you understand speakers' facial expressions as well. Um, and also, it, it creates a bond. It shows your sincerity, and it allows you to really get feedback from your audience. So keep good eye contact. I think that's important. Use facial expressions. Be animated. Show joy. Show fear. Show excitement. Always use good posture. That's how you should position your body as you sit or you stand. Be relaxed, but don't be too relaxed. Use good movement. It gives you a chance to expel your energy, your, your nervous energy that you may have. An animated speaker is also easier to follow than an unanimated speaker who stays frozen in one spot. <clears throat> Make sure that all of your movements are purposeful and confident. Not random and nervous. Make sure when you make a move, you meant to make that move. If you meant to bang the podium, you bang the podium because you meant to do it. Don't just do things out of distraction. Don't sway back and forth or 
rock on your heels. In short, don't make your movements add to your speech rather than subtract from it. Now, when you're using your notes, make sure that you are using your notes sparingly. Look at your audience 95% of the time. Use gestures. Making gestures with your hands and arms can power to uh, can give power to your words, and it can cause you to look animated and engaged. Keep your hands on the podium. That's a good place to keep them from you swaying your hands all over the place. At the end of your speech, there's going to be a question and answer period. That is the period where you will ask the audience if there are any questions that they have about your speech, and that's where they raise their hand and ask you questions, and they give you feedback on your speech. And you need to be prepared for that part of your speech, so you need to plan. You need to – and by planning, I mean you need to find out ahead of time if the person planning the program will want or even permit a question and answer period, and if so, how much time will be allotted for that. A plan for the question and answer period by jotting down all of the questions that might come from the audience and decide how you would answer them. Also discuss your speech with a few friends or associates and ask them to prepare a list of possible questions. Um, also during the question and answer period, you should uh, field your questions. Give the audience time to ask their questions. While a person is asking a question, look directly at him and her, but as you give your answer, look at the entire audience. Also during the the question and answer period, um, that is where you're going to handle problems. If a listener points, um, points out an inaccuracy, an inaccurate statement that you made or an admission in your material, don't be defensive about it. If this listener's point seems to have merit, say so. You can say something like, you know what, you may be right. That statistic could be outdated. I'll have to check it. Thanks. Such an approach is not only honest, but it gains respect from your listeners. Also, don't let any listener hog the question and answer period. Remember that there's other people in the audience that might have questions. And finally, decline to answer questions that are not appropriate for the discussion in front of the entire audience. For an example, questions that are too personal or uh, questions that require a long technical explanation that would bore most and the rest of your listeners. Um, During the question and answer period, that's where you will end the session. Don't let the question and answer period drag on and on and on. Also, at the end of the Q&A session, provide a conclusion. No, not the conclusion that you've already given of your speech, but a brief wrap-up to give a sense of closure that the question and answer period is about to uh, end. And finally... Before getting up and giving your speech, to have a really distinguished delivery, you need to practice. And you need to practice by first starting early. As soon as you find out you're going to be giving a speech, begin practicing it. Practice going through your speech at least four times. Practice ideas and not words. Time yourself. Let you see how uh, that allows you to see how long it takes you to finish your speech or how long your speech even takes. If you need to add some material to it to make it longer, or if you need to subtract some material away from it to make it shorter. Uh, During most of your practice sessions, go all the way through the speech. Practice in front of the mirror. Yes, I don't think that's a crazy 
a piece of advice. I think that practicing in front of the mirror is actually a really good piece of advice because it allows you to see what you look like giving a speech. It allows you to see your facial expressions, your nonverbal, etc. And finally, don't put too many words in your notes. Remember, you want to be looking at your audience for the majority of the time, and you don't want to be wasting uh, time looking at your notes. And it just takes away the impersonable uh, parts of your speech that you need so much to have good delivery. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I want to thank you for listening to another episode here in the Communication Lecture Series on Off the Cuff Podcast. I have really enjoyed doing these episodes, and I hope you have learned something on how to deliver your speech. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm Adam Banks, and I will see you in the next episode on Off the Cuff. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to thank you for listening to the show and another episode of the Communication Lecture Series. I'll see you later here on Off the Cuff. Thank you.